The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of Lexington Community Radio or its board of directors. The views expressed are solely those of the programmers. You are listening to Off the Cuff. Now, here's your host, Adam Banks. Welcome, everybody, to Off the Cuff. I am Adam Banks coming at you live from Lexington, Kentucky. Thank you for listening to the show, and thank you for tuning in to WLXU 93.9 FM. In addition to listening to us on the radio, you can check out our Facebook live stream at Off the Cuff with Adam Banks, or you can download the Radiolex app on your smartphone device to listen to us anywhere in the entire world. Go ahead and stream us on the web, too, at radiolex.us. Amber Turner and I are both broadcasting from the Deborah Hensley Studios here at Radio Lex on North Limestone. Amber, it is a beautiful day. It is May the 12th, 2022, 401 to be exact. We are coming off Derby weekend. It is what they call the two most exciting minutes in sports that you get a chance to watch the Kentucky Derby. I did. Well, I went to the Red Mile, which is a fantastic place to go and watch the Derby. I wouldn't know. You didn't invite me. Well, it's it's a fantastic place. You can place bets. <laughs> it's one of the only times in the state of Kentucky you can place a bet. So you feel like you're at a casino. Okay, so you can actually go there and bet, I guess, like you're at Keeneland, kind yeah, of? Yeah. Okay. Same, okay. Same thing. And it does bring out a crowd. I've only seen the Red Mile as busy as what I seen it at Derby. The only other time was New Year's Eve. It was yeah. pretty it was pretty crowded. <laughs> but it was a great derby. It was very exciting. As a matter of fact, History was made. The winner of the Kentucky Derby uh, was trained by a man named Eric Reed and owned by a man named Richard Dawson, not the same Dawson from Family Feud. Oh, and I wonder if he's got a creek named after him. And uh, Rich Strike was the winner of the Kentucky Derby, overcame 80 to 1 odds to take the top spot and won the Kentucky Derby. Amazing. Only Donna Rail who won the race in 1913, had worse odds at 91 and 1. That was in 1913. Yeah. Nobody has won with that odds since 1913. That's who won the Derby last week. I'm sure you heard the buzz, people talking about it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And what was fascinating about this horse was that it was a late replacement for another horse named Ethereal Road. Oh. So the payouts were huge. The payouts were huge. 80 to 1 odds. If you bet, if you bet 10 bucks, you want $800. Oh my goodness. If you bet $100, uh-huh. you want $8,000. Nah, get out of If you here. bet 1000 you want 80000 you get my drift. So yeah. the payouts were quite large. And a lot of people, Amber, will bet the long shot horse just for the fun of it. Yeah. They'll put $5, $10 on it. And a lot of people did. You've seen people uh, going through, uh, you've seen Courier, Courier Journal. They posted a picture of a teenager cashing out a $2 bet, and he won like $300. Oh, my goodness. So listen here. Based on a $2 bet, if you did the win, play, show, win, got 163, play, 74, show, $29.40. So that just goes to show you that people got paid if they did the long shot. Now, what does that mean, long shot? Like, you ain't no chance you're going to win this, basically? Basically, yeah. They rank everybody kind of who they think will win. Oh, that's mean. And this was the... 
80 to 1. Basically, yeah. they're saying no chance. <laughs> no chance. Like Vince McMahon told Stone Cold at the Royal Rumble. No chance. Oh, goodness. But uh, it was history in the making. Uh, Rich Strikes trainer, Eric Reed. This is his story. He is a Lexington-based trainer, okay? And he entered the Derby with just one graded stakes win in his career. Mm-hmm. This is, he's never really been in big races. He's never won big races. Yeah. And he goes and enters the Derby last minute <laughs> and wins it. And his horse is last place. Yeah. And his horse, yeah. Oh, my goodness. The underdog actually, actually won. And you got to love it. There's always a plethora of celebrities that show up to the Kentucky Derby oh, and walk yeah. the red carpet. That's always been a tradition. One day when Off the Cuff gets to A-list celebrity, because right now we're pretty D-list. <laughs> nah, I think we're more like pushing that C, maybe low B, <laughs> low B. Once we get to that A-list, we'll go to Millionaire Row. But there was a lot of people that hit up the red carpet. There was Travis Tritt, uh, hey. who said that he looks forward to the Derby all year long. Well, He's a big Derby fan. T-R-O-U-B-L-E. Yeah, Melissa Joan Hart was there. Okay. Yeah, she said she was excited to be back at the Derby. It's been 18 years for her. Well. Uh, WWE star Bianca Belair and Montez Ford. Uh-huh. Don't I know. don't know. I ain't got not, not a clue. Louis, Louisville's own Jack Harlow was at the Kentucky Derby. Dressed like Colonel Sanders, had the all-white suit on. I I like Jack Harlow, I do, but he's getting a little bit too big for his britches, Ember. Well, now let me tell you, I saw a little video of him being carried across the mud because yeah. the man didn't want to get his shoes yeah. dirty. Yeah, that's when I'm when you start getting carried across <laughs> mud as a grown you, man, as a grown man, and oh, and other grown men carrying. You. Yes, what kind of grown man are you to carry another grown man because he won't get his shoes dirty? I would have said, Jack, I'm not carrying. I'd have said, buddy, they ain't. Like, kids, you all right? Go on. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand that. That's why I thought that uh, he was getting a little bit too big for his britches. The video, I don't think, bolded well with a lot of people when that got out. Yeah, well, as it shouldn't have. Remain humble, man. You got to remain humble. Or buy cheaper shoes. Or buy cheaper shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, he was supposed to. He was supposed to shoot a video with Drake, who was also there with him. Well, then he could have brought a change of shoes. <laughs> but uh, here are the payouts, Amber, for the jockeys: Rich Strike, uh, Eric Reed, of course, was the trainer. Sonny Leon was the jockey, and the total purse, the total amount that the horse gets, is one point eight million dollars. Oh, one million. My goodness. $860,000. So they have to split that between the jockey, the trainer, and the uh, Is it the groom? And the owner. So 10% goes to the jockey, 10% goes to the trainer, and then the owner gets the rest of it. Yeah. So they said here, they said here that the jockey pretty much takes home $186,000 for winning. That's not bad for one day's work. Especially when you don't even think you're going to win. But you... but. I would have thought that would have been more, wouldn't you, if you were the jockey to win the Derby? Don't you think you would have at least cracked 200000 I mean, look. <laughs> Beggars can't be choosers on that one, I guess. I, I would have I would have definitely had thought he would have won more. But, uh, and you got to think, the purse gets smaller and smaller. So a lot of these jockeys, even getting second, third place, you may be lucky to crack 50000 Yeah. So, oh, goodness. So, Yes. So that is basically the Kentucky Derby. It is the most exciting two minutes in sports. I had a good time watching it, and it was nice to see a crowd again. This was like the first time in two years that 
a full capacity crowd was at the Derby. 147,000 spectators, as a matter of fact, wow. showed up for the Derby. That Well, did you see that Danny Lynn, I cannot remember her name. I think, is it what, Danny Lynn Burkhead uh, and a Nicole Smith's daughter there looking just like her paying tribute to Janet Jackson. She was there. And you know that her dad, Larry Burkhead, met her mom and Nicole at the Kentucky Derby. Yes. I, are they not from here? Or does he not live around here? He's from here, I believe. Larry Burkhead, hit us up. Yes. But that was, ladies and gentlemen, the Kentucky Derby. It is an exciting time. But we've got so much, ladies and gentlemen, to talk about here on this show. So we're going to go ahead and take a break. And we're going to come back and talk about some really exciting things. So stick with us. We'll be right back after these words. everybody to Off the Cuff. Adam Banks here with you. Amber is also in studio with me. This song, Lawyers, Guns, and Money, is the song that describes Mr. Social Security, Eric C. Kahn. Amber. (laughs) The lawyer that was featured in a four-part documentary on Apple TV. And what is amazing about that whole documentary, Amber, is that Off the Cuff made it in the documentary. You mean Off the Cuff as in this very show people are listening to right now? You mean, yes. Yes. As in this show. As in no fooling, no goofing. That is Mr. Adam Neil Banks. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. We'll talk about that whole how I found out and how it happened, but I want to talk about the Eric C. Kahn documentary. Have you got a chance to watch it? It's amazing. Absolutely. An Emmy contender, I would say for sure. It is a four-part It is a four-part documentary. It is on Apple TV. You can subscribe to Apple TV for a whole month for free. Go in there, watch the documentary, and then you could cancel your subscription if you don't want to pay for it. But it is well worth the watch. I really did enjoy it. And... I was looking forward to this documentary for a long, long time, Amber. I was very excited for it because Eric C. Kahn, back home, was larger than life. He is from the same area that uh-huh. I am from, same area as Amber, and he had a ju- he had a law office mm-hmm. in Stanville, Kentucky. It's in between, uh, I guess, Prestonsburg and Parkville, yeah. Yeah, and his law complex was just a bunch of mobile homes. But now it didn't start <laughs> out like that, though. It started out, I think, is what, a double wide? Yeah. One double one double wide and then eventually, <laughs> instead of moving to a bigger office, he just brought in more double wide and homes. Just connect, did he connect front doors to back doors? I'm kind of confused on that setup. I don't really know the whole layout, oh, yeah. but I just know that there was a bunch of mobile homes in his complex, <laughs> and it was called the Eric C. Con Complex, and he was dubbed Mr. Social Security, which means he only focused his practice on, on getting disabled people social security yes and back home amber you have to vouch for me he was everywhere he was on billboards he was on commercials he had mannequins of himself on billboards everywhere he was ever and he what he did was scammed 
the government. <laughs> and he stole almost $600 million worth of Social Security money to put in his own pocket. He lined his own pocket. He was in cahoots with three other, with two other people, a <laughs> uh-huh. judge, Judge David Daughtery, and a pikeful psychologist named Bradley Atkins. Mm-hmm. And they were in cahoots together. What they would do is... Basically, a client would come in, say they were disabled, and Bradley Atkins, the psychologist, would sign off and say, yep, you're crazy, <laughs> or, or yep, you're disabled, something. And then the judge would give his stamp of approval. So all three basically didn't even meet with the client. No. They just It was just a rubber stamp Away. for you, all three of them. You gave a little too much credit. I don't even think this Dr. Atkins, according to the documentary, even met with people and would sign these documents out in the parking lot While of smoking the a cig. Smoking a cig. I can't even smoke a cig and like walk. I don't know. I was signing all in papers. But you have to think, Eric Kahn, he had a brilliant business design. He did. He, Ned Pildersdorf, Pildersdorf, the attorney, the, the well-known attorney in Floyd County, he said he did have a brilliant design. He said he set up shop did a lot of advertising in an area where we have a lot of people who are truly disabled, bribe the judge, bribe a corrupt judge, and bribe a corrupt doctor, and you can make millions. Oh, yeah. That was his plan. It's a, I mean, you know what? It would have been a good plan if he wouldn't have got caught. And Eastern Kentucky is the prime place to go and be a lawyer for people looking for disability benefits because there's so much injury. There's so much hard labor jobs in the mountains. Well, and I think a lot of the times we are overlooked and and people don't really come into those areas. We don't get audited. You know, we don't get things like that. Well, and, and it's coal country. Or at one point in time, it was coal country. And Eric Kahn was thriving when the coal industry was thriving. And that was because there was a lot of injuries then. Oh, yeah. A lot of people were really getting disabled. And I watched the documentary. It had a lot of revelation after watching the documentary. I did. I don't really think Eric Kahn, Amber, is a bad human being. I don't think he is. I don't think he's a bad person. But it is a little hard to stomach Eric Kahn when he flaunted his wealth and he was living a life of flamboyance and (laughs) and luxury on the back of these disability claims. Yeah. And... It was just hard to it was hard to resonate me with me and for me to feel really sorry for him. So I didn't feel too sorry for him uh, because there was a lot of people when he got figured out when he mm-hmm. got made as being a con. Yep. No, no pun intended. Everybody that was a client of his got their benefits revoked. Uh, suspended, I think, was the initial uh, call on it. Everybody was suspended. Everybody was suspended, but Amber. Everybody got suspended. Mm-hmm. Sure, there was probably a few in there that didn't really need the benefits. Absolutely. We're not going to be idiots and say that no. that wasn't the case. Of course, there were people out there scheming the system, but there were people that weren't. Exactly. And the people they featured on the documentary will absolutely take your heart, throw it in the floor, mm-hmm. and, and stomp, all, and over stomp it. all over it because... Did you see some of those people who were disabled? The woman who talked about sometimes having to scoot across the floor. She was so mm-hmm. in so much pain just so she could keep working. Oh, yeah. And the the girl, the little girl who had a allergic reaction yes. and is permanently disabled. Disabled, yes. She lost her benefits. 
Oh, my goodness. She lost her benefits, and they were not able to leave, or they were not able to live. And because of that, there were suicides. Yes. People were putting guns in their mouths and blowing Mm -hmm. their brains out. People were killing themselves because they thought there was no hope. Well, because their only means of survival had now been taken away from them, and who knows how long it had been that they had been waiting for that initial means to even come around. So, you know, I... It was just a lot of despair. And it was very it was very sad. It says here that Social Security suspended disability payments to some 1,700 oh, recipients, my goodness. leaving many in desperate straits. That is an understatement. And it featured the whistleblowers in the documentary. Mm-hmm. And the two whistleblowers were the women who told about what Eric Kahn was doing. To me... They didn't come across as very likable in the documentary, especially the one with the glasses. I did. Oh, you were hating on her from I, the jump. I didn't like her. She just looked. She just looked like a whistleblower. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. She didn't do anything technically wrong. She no. routed. She ratted out somebody who needed to be ratted out, mm-hmm. and she didn't. She was not the one to take away the Social Security dis- uh, benefits. Not. The Social Security administration should be ashamed, ashamed of themselves for doing that. I had mm-hmm. never heard of anything like that in my life, taking away everybody's benefits without without giving them a fair observation to see if they're really disabled. Well, I think that was what, uh, what is it, Ned Pillersdorf even said, you know, that this is the first time he had seen them just completely suspend without even having, you know, initial, you know, I guess, hearings for each individual case. So again, I just, I can't even imagine. But the documentary, it shows so much in the documentary. And one day when I interview Eric C. Kahn, which one day I will, and it might be when he's in prison because he got 27 years. Well. But I have to ask him, one of the main things I want to focus on, and we'll spend 45 minutes on it if we have to, is the relationship he had with his mother. With his mommy? I love that he called her mommy, too. <laughs> the fact that he called her mommy. mommy. And I don't think that's anything weird. I don't. No, like, it's not. It's an Eastern Kentucky thing. No, it is. My dad called his mom mommy. His sisters called his their mom mommy. It, it's just a thing. Mommy, daddy. I call my mother-in-law mommy now. Mommy, daddy. That's an Eastern Kentucky thing. It is. I love that. <laughs> but the relationship that he had with yeah. her, very bizarre. It talked about how she... He didn't like to yell. He didn't like to scream because Mm-mm. he grew up in a house where his mom always screamed at him. Yep. And he said he didn't want to be like that. The women in his office said they couldn't turn a vacuum cleaner on because Eric would make them turn it off really bad because it brought back too many bad memories of his mother. Uh-huh. What? Uh, the thing that got me is, you know, here is Mr. You know, Mr. Social Security. You know, you've got all this, you know, influx of money coming in. But he used to have to go to his mom to get cash, didn't he? To get a can of soda, he had to go to his mom's office and get changed because she would keep the change mm-hmm. to kind of have power over him. Exactly. When when she felt like he was pulling back from her, mm-hmm. she would threaten and talk about suicide books she was reading. Oh, she, what she would put a book. She put a book down, and he would walk in and see that book and say, "Mommy's mad" mom. or something like that, wouldn't he? And they said, "Do you think that Con's mom knew what he was doing?" 
She had to have. Uh, you ain't fooling nobody. A woman in that much control. Yeah. He, he had to. Another thing that just blew my mind in the documentary was the fact that Eric C. Khan had 16 wives. Uh, 17, apparently. 16, 17, whatever. <laughs> and that, that one matters. At that point, what what does it matter? 17 wives. I mean... I've not. I don't have. I, I've never had one. You're the lucky one. I've never had one, and he's had. He's had seventeen wives, and all from different countries. Young girls, uh-huh. and they were all from different countries: Ecuador, Puerto Rico. Yeah, but how does that make you feel to know that they ain't not a woman that can speak your language and wants to even look at you? You have to go out and find these women from these isolated areas. Show them you got money. Oh my goodness. Well, his daughter Jordan Con was in the documentary and she was interviewed and a she was showing boxes of like of all of her dad's uh, marriages stuff, and stuff and a snake was in the I box. I've seen that. That you know how That's I feel. Eastern Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah, black snake. <laughs> Big black snake. But uh, yeah, she was talking about that. It was just fascinating that he had so many wives. There has to be one day a miniseries made about this man's life, right? Oh, absolutely. He, there's things I need to know. He had a brothel in what country? <laughs> was it Thailand? And had a stripper dance around with a Bowen constrictor uh-huh. on her body, mm-hmm. and the Bowen constrictor constricted. Oh, yeah, it like it's supposed to. Like, like it's supposed to. And it tightened up and almost strangled her, almost uh-huh. suffocated her. You know, those kind of snakes oh, will squeeze no. you and not let you go, right? Exactly. She's very lucky to be alive. Oh, my goodness. But I I found that there has to be one day a 10-episode miniseries made on this man uh, because his his life, his story is far too fascinating. But, Amber, like I said at the beginning of this segment... Off the cuff with Adam Banks made it into this documentary. Now, this documentary was just not some documentary locally created. This was made by the same director who did the McMillions documentary. Which is amazing, which, by the way. Which is, covers the Monopoly McDonald's scandal. Yeah, yeah. So he's big into scandal documentaries. So he was a very well-known director, and he... He put Off the Cuff with Adam Banks in his film. Oh. And I f- was watching the documentary just like any other viewer would. Uh-huh. And I'm watching episode three. It's right at the ending. And I hear a very familiar voice. Mm. And I hear it. And I said, is that me? My <laughs> mind starts playing tricks on me. I was like, "That that's not me. I rewind it. It is me. Uh-huh. It is me. And it really felt like... Now I know what it's like for an artist to hear their song on the radio for the first time and and have it blindsided them Uh because it completely blindsided me. Now, I have, ladies and gentlemen, the clip of Off the Cuff with Adam Banks' appearance in the Eric C. Kahn documentary. And what's cool about this clip is it is the closing of episode three. I would say out of all the episodes, the best episode is episode three. Absolutely. It, it talks about just him going on the run. It talks about all of his clients. Uh-huh. Uh, it talks about just everything, really, the meat and potatoes of the of the story in episode three. And they chose a clip that I did right here on this show, Off the Cuff with Adam Banks, to dub over the runaway scene from Eric Kahn. And the scene is him flipping off the camera, throwing off his ankle bracelet, and leaving the country. So, ladies and gentlemen, take a listen at the Eric C. Kahn documentary, Episode 3, Closing, 
with Off the Cuff with Adam Banks. Take a listen. He removed his GPS monitoring device, or his ankle bracelet, which was found along I-75 in Lexington. We need anybody who may have seen Eric Kahn to let us know. If he actually pulled that off and left the country, wow. He actually stuck it to the FBI. Eric C. Kahn is Eric C. Gone. Roll credits. <laughs> I was so geeked when I heard it. I I was in total shock. So when I called you and told you mm-hmm. that I had made the documentary, what was the first thing that went in your mind? Honestly, I had no clue what you were even saying because you were like, I'm on that documentary. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And you're like, I'm going to send you a video. Call me right back. And I waited. That was the longest two and a half minutes, I think, of my entire life because it took you so long to get that video to me so I had no clue I'm like what is he talking about and then I got it and I see it's a blonde woman and I'm like why'd he send me this and then I hear your voice and I'm like well well it was special for me particularly to have that in the film it was a big moment for me and the reason it was so big for me it was because it was validation that people actually do listen to this show if I have ever wondered, and sometimes I have, do people listen to Off the Cuff with Adam Banks? Because, I, yeah, I see the numbers. Yeah, they're good. But it, it still sometimes just doesn't seem real because, you know, there's not always a lot of people on the show thread. Or there might not be people, like, booming at the phones to try to call in. So you don't really see or hear from your listeners every broadcast. So you do kind of get discouraged sometimes. So you wonder, are people listening? Well, all that did, me showing up in that documentary, validated the fact that people do listen. Mm-hmm. And you never know who's listening. You never know. When I first started broadcasting here on Off the Cuff, I knew that it was opening up Uh, avenues for me to be heard by pretty much anybody. And when I went on the radio, I knew that it just grew that opportunity to be heard by more people. And somebody out in Hollywood heard this podcast, heard the radio show, and dubbed an episode from the show uh, over, over that documentary scene. And Amber, for those who are wondering, oh, is that even really him? I have mm. dug up the mm-hmm. original episode Thank from where you. from where that come from. This is episode 165 of the show. Now, this episode <laughs> right here, folks, is episode 414. Four, is episode 414. And that's a lot. We're that's deep into lot. we're deep into the 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 show. So this is episode 165, an older older episode even before radio. So here is the original Clip the original podcast episode of this Eric C. Con uh, documentary. The audio from the uh, Eric C. Con documentary. Take a listen. The possibility of you being just two miles down the road from your house is not even fathomable to some people. So who knows what's going to happen there with Eric C. Con? I, I think that if he pulled that off, if he actually pulled that off and left the country. Wow. He actually stuck it to the FBI. Eric C. Kahn is Eric C. Gone. Because Eric Kahn, guys, you have to understand something about this guy. He is from, like I said, my part of the state. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. 
If there was any doubt, there there it is. But it was a really cool moment. It was validation. It was like hearing my music on the radio for the first time, and it was something that I'll I'll never I'll never forget. And it is streaming on Apple TV. If you haven't checked out the documentary, it is a must watch, a must see because it's very entertaining. And I'm sure there'll be more. Uh, on this documentary because it will win an Emmy. I predict it. (laughs) All right, ladies and gentlemen, stick with us. We still have lots more off the cuff to go. We'll be right back after these words. everybody to Off the Cuff. Adam Banks here with you. Amber is also in studio with me. Have you been keeping up with this Melissa Lucio execution story? She is the first Hispanic woman to be sentenced to death in Texas. Have you been keeping up with this? She's the woman who allegedly... Well, she got convicted as being guilty of killing her daughter yeah, uh, and her two-year-old daughter. And now people are saying that she has been wrongly convicted. She's Mm -hmm. not actually guilty of this crime. Mm -hmm. And she's been put on death row. Kim Kardashian's been involved in this case, calling on Texas Governor Greg Abbott to grant clemency to this Melissa Lucio. I mean, people... Are really getting behind this woman. Yeah, she was slated to be executed on April the twenty seventh last month. Oh my goodness! But they halted it. Yeah, they halted it, and I think they halted it like maybe a hundred, hundred and twenty days. I'm not sure, but Ooh. it's halted. Yeah, and she's still on death row. Mm-hmm. She still possibly could be put to death. Mm-hmm. And it's scary to think about that—that that somebody that actually didn't commit a crime. To be put to death. I could only imagine how you feel. She has said that she's been innocent. Over the last 18 years, she's been in prison. Well, I think even her other children have even, like, came out in support of her. And they are, I think, saying that, you know, she is innocent. I think this was what, I think it was their two-year-old daughter. It was their last child out of, what, seven, eight, nine. She she had, you know, quite a few children prior to this one. Yes. So I think, honestly, that's what's really helped her is that her other children have came out and been like, no, like, something might be wrong. Well, Amber, it's not really this story that I'm wanting to focus on. I, I seen that, and it made me just start thinking of just death row inmates. Oh, yeah. Listen at this stat here. 18 people have been proven innocent and exonerated by DNA testing in the United States after serving time on death row. Mm. They were convicted in 11 states and served a combined 229 years in prison, including 202 years on death row for crimes they didn't commit. Mm -hmm. So is she, Melissa Lucio, is she just another stat of someone who served time when she didn't need to? And not only that, served time on death row. Look, 18 people got saved there. 18 people could have been put to death, but thanks to DNA testing, they, they weren't. And that's because of DNA testing. You mean to tell me 
that there's not more than just 18 people out there that still on death row to be executed, but they're innocent. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there are so many, uh, I can think of the one that's, I think they're maybe out of Arkansas. It's like the United Innocence Project. I mean, there are people that are constantly fighting to get out of death row because I would say that 18 people, I'd say you probably need to times that by about 100. Are you for... Capital punishment. Are you for the death penalty? I think it depends upon the crime. If you, without a doubt, have committed this crime, you have a a heinous crime, and I I hate to sound like law and order right now, but if it's a heinous crime, you know, I I do think that, you know, uh, these are the laws that have been put into place. According to a jury, though, without a shadow of a doubt, Melissa Lucio is guilty. No, I didn't say no jury. Now, sometimes, you know, juries can be swayed. Juries can get it wrong. If you've got uh, irrefutable, uh, you said you said it best, if there's DNA that links you to that crime scene, well, come on now. You can't you can't fight some of this stuff. You can sway people. You can what if sway you were their framed? opinions. What if you were framed and you, what, your DNA was, was, was placed at the crime of the scene, but maybe a dirty cop didn't like it? Ugh. There's always a chance, always a chance that you could be put to death and be wrong, wrongfully uh, put to death. That's why I, I go back and forth with the whole death penalty. Yeah. I don't know because what if you get it wrong? I mean, look, 18 people were were uh, released because they had it wrong there. And there are many different ways that the death penalty happens. So I think nowadays there's only one way. It's the... Oh, el- no. 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 In, in this country? In this country? Yes, in this country. So there's I, lethal injection. There's well, lethal injection. We've got the electric chair. St- so they still do the electric chair. Yes. The, it's still an option in some states. And okay. I think that we even have the option of firing squads, which is where you are lined up. And there are three, uh, I think, masked officers. None oh of them gosh. know which, which one actually has a live round. And they all three at the same time shoot you and so there's firing squad so there's me yeah there's many different ways to execute people hanging uh, electric chair lethal injection and i'm sure gas chambers i'm sure in other countries there's even more oh i don't even want to begin to think about what other countries do right yeah so it's very much in existence still some states have the death penalty yes and amber i uh, started thinking about those inmates yeah. And I started thinking about what goes through their mind. It's their last seconds on this earth. It's their last, it's when they're walking that last mile to the electric chair, what could be going through their mind? And I have a list here of people who have been convicted of to the, uh, as guilty, and they've been sent to the electric chair. And I've got their last words ever spoken because they actually have an opportunity to say last words. They do. They give them an opportunity to say to say the last words. Have you ever wondered what, if you were ever given that opportunity, what would be the last words that you would say? Oh, my Not goodness. Not everybody has that opportunity. Most people just die, yep. and they never get to say what they want to as their last words. Their last words are just whatever they said last. Mm-hmm. But these people got to choose, and, and I find it fascinating. Some of the words that they chose to speak, and they chose these to be their last words. Like Jimmy Glass in 1987 in Louisiana, his last words were right before being sent to the electric chair. He said, I'd rather be fishing. (laughs) Well, (laughs) Jeffrey David Matthews in 2011, Oklahoma. His last words were, I think that governor's phone's broke. He hadn't called yet. Oh, well, (laughs) off the hook, buddy. Yeah, he thinks (laughs) that that, that was his last words. Barbara Graham in 1955, California. 
His last words were, good people are always so sure they're right. Well, I don't know about that one now. So was he trying to still say he was innocent? He was innocent? Who knows? George Apel of 1928 New York, his last words were, well, gentlemen, you are about to see a baked apple. Well. <laughs> his name was George Apple. Well, I guess. I would have said maybe... I don't know. Yeah, he was convicted for killing first-degree murder of a police officer. James Lewis Jackson, 2007 in Texas, last words were, I love my family, potato, potato, potato. Taters, taters, taters. (laughs) George Engel, 1887, Illinois, last words, hooray for anarchy. This is the happiest moment of my life. Oh, goodness. Elaine Woodrose. Oh, there we go. She was from, she was the serial killer female who would kill men. Uh She was a prostitute that would kill men. 2002, Florida. Her last words was, yes, I would just like to say I'm sailing with The Rock and I'll be back. Like Independence Day with Jesus. June 6th, like the movie. Big mothership and all. I'll be back. I'll be back. Well, well, Independence Day didn't come out in June. It came out in July. So, well, and I thought that was the Terminator that said, I'll be back. James French, 1966, Oklahoma. He was the French murderer. He was the murderer uh, who uh, picked up people after hitchhiking and would just kill people that would pick him up. Oh. Yeah. His last words was, how about this for a headline for tomorrow's paper? French fries. Aye. Look at these people. There ain't no way I'd be joking. Yeah, joking like that. I, mean, I, can't, I couldn't. Yeah. Uh, and then just a couple more here. Uh, Thomas Graso, 1955, says his last words, I did not get my SpaghettiOs. I got spaghetti. I want the press to know this. <laughs> <laughs> so well, there are all kinds of people who who have stuff to say. Finally, I'll end it with this. Grover Cleveland Redding in 1921, before he got executed, his last words was, I have something to say, but not at this time. Well, now look, you know we had someone be executed yesterday in the state of Arizona, the first, I think, to be executed in a while. And his final words were, maybe I'll see you on the other side. I don't know you and I don't remember you. Interesting. Speaking to the girl's family that he had murdered. What would your last words be? Uh, Probably worse my dog's. Tell my dogs I love them. Yeah. You can't see them. Give PP a rag kiss for their mommy. <laughs> <laughs> you would what, want to what, see what, dogs. Would, what would you say? I would just have to know in the moment. Yeah. I think I would just have to know and and see what I would say in the moment. But Now, you know what would be good is if you dropped the Eric C. Con is Eric C. Gone. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, I will say this. I have not asked for any compensation, but if that becomes a thing... Hey, that's you, the best tagline I have heard come out of a documentary in the last 10, 15 years. You best so. believe, you best believe that I will ask for compensation. <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen, we are going to take Off the Cuff Song of the Week. If you ever wondered what it was... What it would be like to hear Post Malone and The Weeknd in a song together, here's your chance. Here is... Their new single, One Right Now, will be back after the song. You know, I can talk about death row inmates for a long time on this show. And we were talking about, before we took the song of the week break, the last words that were spoken by some of these inmates. Well, what about... 
the last meal. Could you imagine sitting down and having a bite to eat right before you go to the chair? Oh, I'm so fascinated by the last meals. I don't know why. So The whole procedure just of death row inmates, giving them an opportunity to say one, one final thing, giving them an opportunity to eat one final meal. What person in their right mind can sit and enjoy a meal? Uh, not me. And they give them a pretty good uh, selection. They pretty much give them anything they ask for. Uh, yeah, what they have like a dollar amount, isn't it? There's a certain budget. Don't really know what the budget is, but they can't go over the budget. Yeah. You can request burgers, steaks, uh, chicken. It doesn't matter. if you. It, the, they will cook it for you in the kitchen. Yeah. And a lot of people, they don't cheap out. They'll, oh, they'll, I wouldn't. They'll eat a really good meal before they get executed. And... It started making me also wonder what some of the most interesting meals were that mm-hmm. people would ask for. Oh, goodness. These death row inmates would ask for because have you ever wondered maybe what your last meal would be? <laughs> oh, gosh. I have no clue. Right. What your last meal would be. Like we talked about Aline Woodrose from Florida, right? Yeah. We talked about that. Her last meal, the only thing she wanted was a cup of coffee. Well, I hope that was a McDonald's cup of coffee. I feel that, though. I feel that. I feel like a cup of coffee would have been probably what I would have done because I wouldn't have been able to eat. So I would have been like, give me just a cup of coffee. <laughs> Let me get caffeinated. <laughs> before, before before this ends. But yeah, so, and we talked about the guy who who was mad because he didn't get his SpaghettiOs. He got, yeah. he got, real, he got real spaghetti yeah. instead of SpaghettiOs. He was mad over it because... Well. He, his last meal request included four dozen steamed mussels and clams, a Burger King double cheeseburger, a half dozen barbecued spare ribs, and two strawberry milkshakes and SpaghettiOs. That's too much. They gave, him, reg- they gave him regular SpaghettiOs. <laughs> he, he, he didn't like that. He, he didn't like that. Um, let's see. Some more here. Famous last meals. Thomas Grasso. He was 32 when he was executed by lethal injection at Oklahoma State Penitentiary Ugh. in 1995. His last meal consisted of two dozen mussels, two dozen clams, a half dozen spare ribs, a double cheeseburger from Burger King. Well... <laughs> I would go Wendy's. I, I probably would. <laughs> Two strawberry milkshakes, half a pumpkin pie, strawberries, and a can of sp- and a can of spaghettio uh, with meatballs. I already said his. Dang it. Okay, James Edward Smith. He was executed, and he wanted his last meal to be. I'm actually looking at the final words. No wonder I'm going over. <laughs> no wonder I'm going over because I wanted to see what the last meals were. Okay. Uh, let's see. Lawrence Brewer. He was a white supremacist who had already been who had already served time before being incarcerated again for violating his parole. His last meal request was a feast consisting of two chicken fried steaks, three fajitas, a triple meat bacon cheeseburger, a pound of barbecue, a meat lovers, a bowl of fried okra, a pint of ice cream, and a peanut butter fudge with nuts. Goodness. Ricky Ray Rector. His last meal request was steak, fried chicken, cherry Kool Aid, and a pecan pie. I like pecan pie now. Yes. On his execution day, Rector left the pecan pie on the side and told the officers that he was saving it for later. Well, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to be there when you get back. I wonder, though, if people do have a sense of humor right before death. Apparently. I I don't don't know if I could. Ronnie Lee Gardner, his last meal was quite extravagant, and it consisted of steak, lobster tail, apple pie, vanilla ice cream, and 7-Up. Okay. Swap that out for a Dr. Pepper. This is like a good time. Even more surprising was the was his last request to watch the Lord of the Rings film trilogy 
while eating uh, the meal. And it was granted. They let him do it. Well, I mean, not too many people. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) James Edward Smith. uh, I've already talked about him. And then, uh, yeah. So that's pretty much it of the last meals of people. Makes you wonder sometimes why people ordered the things they do. Ah, now look, some of those sounded pretty good. Steak and lobster tail. It sounds good because we're really, really hungry. <laughs> and I think we could we could go for that. Absolutely. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we still have one more segment to go. Stick with us. We'll be right back after these words. everybody to Off the Cuff. Last segment of the hour, Adam Banks here with you. Amber is also in studio with me. It is May 12th, which means a lot of schools are ending. A lot of graduations are happening. It is graduation season. People graduate from all different types of schools. Middle school, grade school, high school, college, graduate school. There's a lot. A lot of college graduations. I went to my cousin's graduation at UK. Yeah. They have like 20 different graduations because there's so many students. I was going to say, how was that process like? It was not bad. He was one of the first to be called. Okay, that's good. And he left as soon as it was over. Yeah, buddy. Smart guy, engineering major, 4.0, all that. Congrats, Ben, on graduating. But I was looking at the sea of college graduates and I was thinking about when I used to be a college graduate there was no other time in my life where I was more stressed yeah. than that time there. People were thinking you should be excited, you should be happy no. Mm-mm. I had no money <laughs> I had no job, I was in debt, I had no pro- the only thing I had was promise <laughs> and hope. Hey and if anybody can do something with that it's you so but a lot of college graduates if you're listening you probably are Having that same feeling. You feel lost. Where do I go now? Because guess what? You ain't going back to school in August. Mm-mm. School's over. School's out. The party's over. Welcome to the real world. I got some tips for you. Number one, that major of yours. It don't matter. It don't matter. No. It don't matter. That major is just something that's kind of been outdated through that they've kept around in the academia world. Mm-hmm. All they really look for now is college degree. So don't get too bent out of shape over your major if it's not a specific specialty. Exactly. Also, another advice that I have, a piece of advice that I have for you is college is not as good as it gets. No. Let me think about it. College is a great time. It is a great four years. I had a blast. But you now will eventually go out, get money. Have a life. Get to live life after college. Get more wisdom. You don't have to worry about eating cold pizza out of the microwave and having to constantly keep up the social scene at parties. No. You can rest now. Yeah. Adult life is a lot better. You can order pizza. Eat it while it's hot. You're not going to be broke forever. I mean, it feels like sometimes you will be because you got so much debt. But you're eventually going to get a job. 
you eventually get a job. Now, don't be delusional and think that you're going to go out and make a lot of money starting off. That ain't going to happen. It could. Very unlikely. You're going to earn it, though. Another tip, advice that I have for you is you're probably not going to get married before you turn 30, so quit stressing and worrying about it. (laughs) The world has changed since your parents were young. We live in progressive times where people like to spread their wings and fly a lot longer than what they used to. So if you are 29, don't be freaking out. A lot of us are still in our 30s and not married. It's (laughs) not all it's cracked up to be, I've heard. Well, I'll plead the fifth. Success doesn't look the same to everyone. So not everyone was born with the same amount of luck. And you got to understand that very early on, folks. A lot of success has to do with luck. You can only do so much, but if you don't have any luck... your your hard work will only take you so far. So you have to learn how to take rejection. Mm -hmm. Sometimes rejection, and well, 100% of the time, it will always happen. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there's sometimes you see people that don't ever get really rejected. Very rarely. That's called luck. Mm -hmm. You can't harp on it. You can't keep thinking life's unfair. That's just... It is what it is. That's how it is sometimes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that person's lucky. That person had something give to them that took you 10 years to accomplish. That's just the way the cookie crumbles. That's luck. Will that person appreciate it as much? Probably not. Mm -hmm. But you can't harp on somebody else's luck. Just because you worked really hard, just because I worked six, seven years trying to get a full-time teaching job, I can't really get bent out of shape if somebody right out of college gets a college teaching job. Because that's just luck. And as soon and when you figure that out, folks, the happier the happier uh, that you'll that you'll be. So that is my tips and advice for all those college graduates out there because I know it's a stressful time and I know that you probably need some good words thrown your way. So there you go. But ladies and gentlemen, that about wraps up another episode of Off the Cuff. If you liked what you heard today, you'll probably like our previous episodes. So check us out on podcast. We are on Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube. We are also all over social media, Facebook, Instagram. You can follow the Facebook page and Instagram at Off the Cuff with Adam Banks. You can follow the co-host, Amber, on social media at Ambu447. You can follow me, the host, on social media at The Adam Banks. We release new episodes every Thursday from 4 to 5 right here on WLXU 93.9 FM, which means we will be back next week from 4 to 5. We'll catch you down the road. Oh, by the way, that is Amber Turner. I'm Adam Banks, and this is Off the Cuff. We'll see you next week.